Well, I want to say good morning. I want to welcome all of those of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus and those who are at our Mill Creek campus and those who are watching online. We are one church in two locations. We have another campus about 20 minutes to the north of us. And if you're watching online especially, there's nothing like being there. And I hope you'll come check out and see what God is doing here at our church. I don't know what your favorite subject in school was. I asked Harper, my grandson, the other day, it really happened. I went and had lunch with him. I said, Harper, what is your favorite subject in school? He said, recess. I said, what's your second favorite in school subject in school? He said, lunch. Well, my favorite subject in school from uh, elementary school all the way through college was American history. I majored in accounting because I was going to law school. Had I not been going to law school, I would have majored in American history. To this day, I'm always reading a book on American history. It's fascinating to me because I, I think one of the most fascinating stories in history is the founding and, and the birth of our nation. And I happen to believe that when you look back, you can really see the fingerprints of the providence of God and just the way our nation came together. But there's not a nation in history on this planet that has a more fascinating history than the nation of Israel. Now, we don't have time to give you the whole story, so I'm going to give you kind of the Cliff Notes version. And if you don't know anything about Israel, let me just kind of tell you their story. God calls a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham is a pagan. He's living in a pagan land. He doesn't really have a relationship with God, but God reveals himself to Abraham, and he calls Abraham out of this pagan country, and he says, I want you to follow me to a land that you have never seen. I want you to leave the family and the friends and the people that you have always known. And then he makes a promise to Abraham, and it is a promise that is so incredulous that when God makes this promise to Abraham, you know how Abraham, you know how Abraham responds? He laughs because he says to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull out of your loins a nation that will become so great, it will be a blessing to all of the nations of the world. Now you say, well, why did Abraham laugh at this promise? Because he and his wife were 100 years old. Their, their days of childbearing were long, long gone. And yet God said to him, you are going to become the father of a great nation that will bless all other nations. And God kept his promise. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 tribes of his people. One of those sons, Joseph, is sold into slavery because of the jealousy of his other brothers. And he goes to uh, uh, Egypt, and that's another fascinating story I wish we had time to tell. But in God's providence, he eventually becomes the prime minister of the nation. Well, eventually he brings all of his family to Egypt where all is forgiven, all is forgotten. But understand, at this point, there's still no nation of Israel. They're just 12 individual tribes, and, and there's really not one conglomeration. There's not one entity called the nation of Israel. So his family moves to Egypt, and they kind of assimilate into the culture and the country of Egypt. Now, all is good. He's at the right hand of Pharaoh. He is the second most powerful man in the world. He makes sure that his family is well taken care of. And as long as Pharaoh is alive and Joseph is alive, everything is coming up roses. But Pharaoh dies and Joseph dies. 
And eventually another Pharaoh rises to power and he doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't know who Joseph is. He certainly doesn't know who the Hebrews are. But there is one thing he does know about Joseph's family. They have multiplied like rabbits. There are over 600,000 men, just men, not counting the women and the children, that are in this country called Egypt, and he and his advisors are worried that they're going to become so numerous, they're going to become so big that they're going to take over his nation. So here's what he does. He puts all of them into slavery. He enslaves all of them, puts them into bondage, and then he orders every firstborn male to be killed. Why does he do that? Because he not only, he wants to stop the birth rate dead in its tracks. He wants to control this people, lock, stock, and barrel. Well, this is where the story really gets interesting. Just as it looks like Israel eventually is going to be destroyed, just as it looks like they're not going to propagate themselves, just as it looks like in time they may go out of existence, one Hebrew baby is spared. Anybody tell me his name? His name was Moses otherwise known as Yul Brenner or whoever you might see in the movies. Well, God raises Moses up, and God anoints him and empowers him to be the deliverer of his people. Now, let me go back. It's been 400 years since Joseph brought his family to Egypt. So they've been enslaved. They've been in bondage now for 400 years. And God says to Moses, Moses, I am raising you up. You have come to the rescue you're the guy riding in on the white horse. The cavalry has come. You're going to deliver your people, and it's not going to be an easy task. Let me tell you why. Something that you probably don't realize or maybe don't think about when you've, if you read this story in the Bible, at this point in history, the, the, the Hebrews have long ago forgotten God. They have forgotten the God of their ancestors. They have forgotten the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because remember, that's been hundreds and hundreds of years ago. They've lost all hope they will ever be freed. They're under the thumb of the most powerful nation, the most powerful ruler, and the most powerful army in the world. If there's apparently no way of escape, there is no way out. There's not even a way of even propagating their own race because every time they have a baby boy, that baby boy is killed. And it looks like they're out of options. And we're in a series that we've titled Out of Options. Because if you live long enough you'll come to a point in your life where you think, I'm out of options. There, there just simply isn't any way to go. And you get to that point and you start thinking to yourself, well, I don't have any choice but to cheat. I don't have any choice but to take the wrong path. I have to make the wrong decision. I have to compromise my conviction. I've got to go along to get along. And there are some people that even give up on God. They say, even God can't help me out of this situation. And if you've been listening or been here over the last several weeks, we've actually gone to God's Word and we've actually examined real life people in real life stories, just like you and I have real life stories in our own lives. We've gone to real life people who by all accounts and all appearances, they were out of options. But we keep learning the same thing over and over and over. And what we're learning is this, with God, there's always an option. With God, there's always an option. 
And so that brings us to this day, what is to this day, to the nation of Israel, one of the two greatest events in their entire history. They still celebrate what we're going to talk about today to this very day. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you have a smartphone or an iPad, whatever you use, I want you to turn. It's the second easiest book in the Bible to find. It's the second book in the Bible, okay? It's the book of Exodus. So you turn to Exodus, you turn right, go to Exodus, go to Genesis and turn right, go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now, what you're about to read is so critical to this nation. It's going to become such an integral part to what we're going to know now as the nation of Israel that God even changes their religious calendar. And they, he says, from now on, I want this day to be the beginning of your religious year. He changes the entire calendar. Because what's going to happen on this day, what we're about to read, is going to become the basis of one of the greatest celebration that, celebrations that the nation has observed ever since. And it's called Passover. You've heard about it before. Even more importantly, what you're about to read here in a moment is the clearest picture of redemption in the entire Old Testament. Now, I don't want to get too deep into theology this morning, but you know what the word redeemed means. If you've got a coupon, for example, for a discount or a free gift, you take that coupon to a store and they redeem it for you. They give you the value of what that coupon is. Well, back in the day, the word redeemed means to be bought back at a price. If you were in slavery and somebody wanted to free you, if they paid a certain amount, you would be freed. That meant to be redeemed. And what we're going to learn today in this beautiful story is that nobody is beyond God's redemption. You say, you you don't know what I've done. Don't care what you've done. Nobody's beyond God's redemption. Nobody's beyond God's forgiveness. And what we're reading in this chapter, in Exodus chapter 12, is both the birth of a nation in a night. And what's even more amazing to me is the freedom of a nation in one day after 400 years of slavery. You see, this story reminds us that when you're out of options and you think there's no way out, you think you got to cheat, you got to take the cheap way out, the wrong way out, go along, get along, even give up on God. Here's what you're going to learn today. With God, there's always a way out, but watch this, but his way is the only way. With God, there's always a way out. See, we know that, but here's what we don't like. But his way is the only way. And you say, well, okay, what's all this got to do with me? Real simple. So maybe you're in bondage today to pornography or to bitterness or to lust or to anger. Or to jealousy, or to alcohol, or to greed. It's amazing how many people I meet in life, and they look so good on the inside, but on the outside, but inside they're shackled. They're in bondage to something. Maybe you've tried to get free. Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I am in bondage and I've tried everything I know to get free, but the keys to my shackles don't work. Well, here's what you want to learn from this story today. There is freedom awaiting you. There is an option. There is a way out and it always works if you'll learn these incredibly practical lessons we're going to learn today. I'm going to give you three of them. All right. Number one, You must accept God's direction. If you want to get out of bondage, if there's something in your life that's overpowering you, if there's something in your life that has control of you and you want to get free of it and you haven't been able to do it on your own, and oh, by the way, you will not be able to do it on your own, 
then the first thing you've got to do is you've got to accept God's direction. Now, let's go back to Exodus 12, and let me kind of set up the story. Tonight is the night. You've been in bondage. All, all you've known, all your father's known, all your grandfather's known, all your great-grandfather's known, all your generations have known for 400 years is slavery. For 400 years, you've been making bricks out of straw. You've been, order, you've been ordered around. You've been told when to get up, told when to go to bed, told when to sleep, told when to eat, told what to eat. And after 400 years of slavery... Your emancipation proclamation is about to be signed. You are about to be set free. The Hebrews are about to become a free people. But God's got directions. God's got a plan on how this is going to work out. Now watch this. Here are the directions that God gives to Moses to give to the Israelites on how he's going to free them. Verse 3, Exodus 12. He says, I want you to tell. Now remember, God's talking to Moses. Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel. Then on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Now, just stop right there. You're Moses, okay? You're, you're Moses. And God's told you, I'm going to use you, Moses, to become the, one of the greatest heroes in the history of this people. You're going to free your people. Now, can you just imagine what Moses is feeling at that moment? I mean, here the Israelites are. They're in slavery. They're in bondage to the most powerful king and the most powerful nation and the most powerful army in the world. And God comes to Moses and said, Moses, no worries. I got this. I got a plan. Now, you're Moses. Boy, you're thinking to yourself, man, what's the plan, God? What are you going to do? He's already seen God do, do so many things, so he's, he thinks to himself, how's God going to do this? Is he just kind of going to wave his hand and just wipe the Egyptian, Egyptians out? Maybe he's going to send a legion of angels to just destroy all of them. Or maybe he'll just send Donald Trump to butt them with his hair. You know, you're, you're wondering, what, what in the world is he going to do? Now, you ready for this? Here's his plan. He's going to use a lamb. He's going to use a what? He's going to use a lamb. Not even a lion, but a lamb. A lamb? You mean the most gentle, meek, defenseless of all the creatures on earth? Yep. You mean an animal that has no fangs, no claws? You mean an animal that can't even outrun somebody that would eat it? You mean an animal that's more suited for sweaters and chops than fighting and warfare? Now, now you're Moses. You're Moses, and God says to Moses, you're going to raise this people up. You're going to lead this people out, and you're going to do it with a lamb. You know what I think Moses was probably feeling at that moment? You know, you know what I think Moses probably wanted to say to God at that moment? Probably something profound like this. Can you make a new plan, Stan? Can I slip out the back, Jack? Can I get off the bus, Gus? Can you just drop off the key, Lee, and just set us all free? And God says to Moses, uh, no, that's the plan, Stan. You mean a lamb? Well, yeah, Moses, but it's a little more complicated than that because not just any lamb will do. Well, what do you mean? Well, it has to be a perfect lamb. He says in verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or the goats. 
He says, Moses, I want everybody to take a lamb. Now, if there's any flaw in the lamb whatsoever, it's disqualified. So the lamb couldn't be blind. It couldn't have a crooked nose. It couldn't have a broken hoof. It couldn't have any scabs, any scars. Its wool had to be completely, totally white. As a matter of fact, from this point moving forward in the future, every time they would observe the Passover, even to this day, the priest would examine a lamb before they would allow that lamb to be sacrificed. You know what they would do? Just like a veterinarian would do. They would look inside the mouth of that lamb. They would examine the eyelids and the ears of that lamb. They would look for any sign of a blot or a blemish because only a perfect lamb would do. And Moses said, well, is that all? And he said, well, no, Moses, you also are going to have to make sure that that lamb is killed at a very specific time. Verse six, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. He said, Moses, take the lamb on the 10th day of the month. Now, we're going to observe it and examine it for four days to make sure there's nothing wrong with that lamb, and only then is that lamb to be killed. But even then, Moses, you can't kill it just any time of the day. It has to be killed at twilight. Now, in the Hebrew language, that that phrase literally means between the evenings. In other words, it had to be killed between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Just keep that in mind. We're coming back to that. Had to be killed between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And sometime between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock, the priest would take that lamb, lift the head of that lamb back, slit the throat of that lamb, catch the blood in a basin. But the blood didn't stay in the basin very long. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood, and they shall put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, now watch this, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Very simple. You slay the lamb between three and six on this day. You're to take the blood of that lamb. You are to paint it over the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses because that will be your protection against God's death angel that's going to pass through the land this very night. Now, let me just stop right here. You don't have to even understand this. You don't have to like it. You don't, may not even, you don't even really have to agree with it at this point. Here's what I want you to keep in mind at this point, okay? This is God's plan. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for deliberation. It is his way or the highway. It's his way or no way. And, Israel, and, and the nation of Israel had to learn on this very night, as we've got to learn on this very day, that when we are out of options... God always has a way out, but his way is the only way. God has a plan that will work, but you have to follow his plan. You know, I've never owned a Rolls Royce, never will, and don't care to, but I was reading the other day, Rolls Royce has a very interesting policy. I don't know if you know this or not. If you ever buy a Rolls Royce, one of the things they will tell you is this. If something ever goes wrong with your automobile, with a Rolls Royce automobile, here's the deal. That Rolls-Royce automobile can only be repaired in the factory where that car was made. You can't take it to Jiffy Lube. You've got to take that car 
exactly to the factory where it was made. Well, see, God, he is the one who made Israel. And God is the one who has made you. And God is the one who has made me. And just as God was the only one that could save Israel that night, God is the only one that can save us today. And when you think you're out of options, let me just remind you, when you think there's no way out, I've got no options, you've got plenty of them. You've got God's direction. You've got God's plan. You've got God's word. And I promise you, you will not have a problem in your life that some way, somehow, this book cannot meet and this book cannot solve. But if you want to find the right way out and the only way out, step number one is you've got to follow his directions. Let me tell you something. The number one reasons why marriages don't work out, number one reason. It's not money, it's not sex, it's not this, it's not that. The number one reason marriages don't work out, I found it 100% of the time, people don't follow the directions. First thing you got to do, you want to get out of your predicament, you think you're out of options, you want to get out of bondage, you've got to accept God's direction. Step two, you've got to apply God's provision. It's not enough just to accept God's directions. You've got to apply God's provision. Now, Moses does what he's told. So he gets all of his people together. They're waiting with bated breath for this wonderful plan that God has for them and the powerful way God's going to deliver them. And he just simply repeats what God's already told him. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you. Now, it's one thing to be told what to do. It's another thing to do what you're told. See, that's where you, we parents get frustrated, right? We parents are real good at telling our kids what to do. Here's where the frustration comes in. They're not real good at doing what they're told to do, right? So it's one thing to be told what to do. It's another thing to do what you've been told. You, you can't just accept God's directions. You've got to apply God's provision. So in other words, it wasn't enough just to take a lamb or to slay a lamb or even to pour the blood of that lamb into a bowl. The blood of that lamb had to be applied to the lintel, that is the, the overhanging doorpost of the house, and on both sides of that door. Because here's the reason. That night, there would only be one difference between the house of an Egyptian and the house of an Israelite. Only one. That would be the application of the blood on the door. If the blood wasn't on the door, you're going to suffer the same fate as everybody else. You're going to have to face that death angel just like everybody else. And Moses said, you've got to obey and do specifically everything that God has told you to do. And God, and Moses said, now let me just make sure you hear this very clearly. Your only hope tonight is the blood on the door. In other words, a locked door would not save you. A barricaded door would not save you. You could have armed guards beside your door 
that won't save you. And furthermore, God didn't say, if you're a righteous person, I'll pass over you. If you're a religious person, I'll pass over you. If you are a respectable person, I'll pass over you. If you are a reliable person, I will pass over you. He said, the only thing that's going to stay the hand of this death angel, the only thing that will cause him to pass over you is going to be the blood on the door. In other words, you ready? He wouldn't be looking for a baptismal certificate. He wouldn't be looking for a giving receipt to the church. He would not be looking for a a reward for your good works. He said, I'm only going to look for one thing, the blood on the door. No substitutes allowed. You can believe in the lamb. You can love the lamb. You can even keep a lamb as a pet. But the only thing that's going to save your life is the blood of that lamb applied to the door of your house. I guarantee you there were a lot of Israelites that were just I mean, they were so out of sorts. I guarantee there were a lot of Israelites that just didn't feel like smearing lamb's blood on the doorpost of their home. I'm sure there were all kinds of excuses. Are you kidding me? I just repainted the house. Blood, do you know how hard it is to get blood off of anything? How gross can it be? How, 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 that's just so tasteless to put blood on the door of my house. And I'm sure there are a lot of them that are going, are you kidding me? Why am I to put blood? Why in the world would God do it that way? Now, I have an idea, as we're going to see in just a moment, that this was actually pointing toward a future lamb, someone who would permanently pay the debt of sin and offer freedom and redemption to anyone who's willing to apply it. But at this point, they just had one thing they needed to do. As Nike says, just do it. Just do what you're told. Just apply God's provision. Just accept it, believe God, and obey God. And I guarantee you that night, there were a lot of little children in homes that night, and they would say to their daddy, Daddy, why why are you killing the family lamb? Daddy, why why are you painting the the blood on the doorpost of our house? And I guarantee you most dads simply said this because there was nothing else to say because this is what God told us to do. Well, Daddy, I don't understand it. I don't either. Daddy, I think it's gross. So do I. Daddy, Mama's not really happy with you right now. I understand. But we've got to do what God tells us to do. And history was made that night. Because they not only believed God's man and followed God's plan, they applied God's provision. And oh, by the way, let me just get one other thing out of the way. There was no logical reason for them to do what they were told to do except that's what God told them to do. Reason had nothing to do with it. Logic had nothing to do with it. See, here's the point I'm trying to make. You can believe everything that God says in this book. You can believe everything about it. You can believe every single word that you read in this book. It will do you no good if you don't apply it to your life. If you don't say, I not only believe it's true, I'm going to live like it's true. You can accept God's options being true, but it won't work in your life unless you apply God's provision and you let it work. So first thing you've got to do, you got to accept God's direction. Second thing you got to do, you got to apply God's provision. Now here's the last thing, last step. Watch this. You appreciate God's redemption. Now now we're going to come to the real, this is my, I love this part of the story because see what God does on this night is so amazing. So unbelievable that to this day, 
The nation of Israel has never, ever forgotten it. Here's what we read in verse 14. God said, this day shall be for you a memorial day, a holiday, a day you always celebrate. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. See, Passover marked a new beginning for these Jewish people. Now they're about to be bound together. Now they're about to be one nation under God. For 400 years, they've just been kind of a a conglomerate of 12 tribes, kind of hung together by a common ancestry. But tonight, they become officially known as the nation of Israel. Because you see, when God frees you, and I've learned this so many times in my life, when God frees you from whatever's binding you, it's not just the beginning of a new day, it's the beginning of a new life. I mean, everything God says is brand new. And from then until now, every time Jewish believers would hear this word redeemed or the word redemption, they would always think of another word, Passover, because God had delivered them through the blood of the Lamb. Now watch this. The Passover supper is not, that's not just something that they obeyed that night and celebrated that night. God says, it's going to be a memorial for you from now on. You're to remember it forever. And you see, the Passover is not just for the Jews. The blood of the Passover lamb was not just important for the nation of Israel. You say, well, how do you know that? Because one of the greatest Jews who ever lived, a man who was a Pharisee, a man who was a descendant of Abraham by the name of Paul, let me show you what he said about Jesus almost 3,000 years after this event took place. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ... What's the next three words? Read it with me. Our Passover lamb. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Wow. So who was this lamb that dad put to death that night? Who who, who did this lamb represent? What does the blood of the lamb signify today? See, here's what I want you to do. Don't miss this. This entire story, this entire event, it was simply a picture. It was a prophecy. It was a promise of the Redeemer who would bring permanent redemption, Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Let's go back. Just just think about the story again and just try to be in two places at one time. I know you can't do it physically, but mentally you can. Be in two places at one time. Be at the Passover on that night, and then just let your mind move about 3,000 years ahead. Do you remember how the lamb had to be perfect? No blot, no blemish. And do you remember the lamb had to be observed over a period of time? Do you remember how every part of that lamb had to be examined to make sure that the lamb was absolutely perfect? And then you come to these four gospels. And right off the bat, the first time John the Baptist meets Jesus, what does he say? Behold, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Talk about observation. For 30 years, he was observed by his family and his friends. For three years, he was observed by multitudes, both friends and enemies. By the way, have you ever wondered why the Gospels, you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered why the Gospels spend so much time on the last life of Jesus? You know, most of us in this room, and if you don't know this, I'll, I'll inform you, Scholars estimate that the ministry of Jesus probably lasted about three years. From everything we can glean from the Gospels, his ministry lasted about 
for years. And yet, almost one-third of the Gospels is given to the last week of his life. One-third, to the la- not, not the last month, not the last half year, not the last year. One-third of the Gospels is given to the last week of his life. And that seems out of proportion, right? Jesus ministered for three years, but you're going to take one out of three, every three verses and talk about the last week of his life. Why do you think they did that? Because it was in the last week of his life, he was put under the biggest microscope. It was in the last week of his life that he was most closely examined. I mean, people got in line to examine him. The Pharisees examined him. The Sadducees examined him. The Herodians examined him. The civil leaders examined him. Pontius Pilate examined him, and he spoke the truth when he said about Jesus, I find no fault in him. I find no blot in him. I find no blemish in him. Seems like to me, he may be the most perfect. He may be the first perfect man I have ever met. And in John chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus asked this question, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you convicts me of sin? Listen, I wouldn't ask my best friend that question. And for for the love of God, don't ask Teresa that question about me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Yet Jesus had the audacity, the boldness to say, okay, some of you have known me for 33 years. I grew up with you. I went to school with you. You watched me. You've observed me. He looked at the religious scholars of his day who knew their Bible back, front, and sideways. He said, you've examined me up against the most rigorous way you could against the Word of God. And I'm asking you right now, who convicts me of sin? And he hadn't gotten an answer yet. To this day, no one has ever convicted him of sin. He was the perfect lamb. And oh, by the way, do you remember when the Passover lamb was killed? Remember, I told you between the evenings, right? Between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the evening. Do you know when Jesus Christ was crucified? Somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And what was required of both of them? They both had to shed their blood. Now, watch this. This is so beautiful. I never thought about this before. Do you remember how he said the blood was to be applied? Do you remember what he said? It was very specific. He said, I want you to apply the blood to the lintel of the door and to the doorpost. In other words, he said, here's how I want you to apply the blood. I want you to apply it to the doorpost and to both sides. To the doorpost, both sides. See, when that death angel came to that door, He didn't just see blood on the door. He saw a cross. When he saw that cross, he says, I have to pass over. That's the sign of the cross. See, when you read this chapter and you study the Passover, you're not just looking into a window of what God did 3,000 years ago. You're looking into a mirror of what God is doing today. We baptize people today. You know why we baptize them? Because they have painted the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of their heart. 
They have applied the blood of Christ to their life. That's why we baptize them. They were saved by the blood of the lamb back then, just like we're saved by the blood of a lamb right now. And there was a lot of peace and joy in Egypt that night, but not in every home, because we read this in verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. You could have been a hundred miles away. You could have heard this wailing. You could have heard this crying. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And just think about that. Not a house. In Israel, not one home was attacked. In Egypt, not one home was spared. There's only one difference. The blood on the door. Only difference. See, there's a reason why this book talks about blood so much, and it does. First of all, God connects sin and blood to show us something. Sin results in death. Second, God is sickened by the sight of sin, just like the sight of blood sickens a lot of people. And God connects both of those so he will know, we will know exactly how he feels. Even the Lord's Supper, we're going to take it in a few weeks here. Even the Lord's Supper itself is our Passover. Every time we like to take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that with God, there's always an option, but his way out, which is the only way out, is always paved with blood. And here's what I came to tell you today. You may think it sounds funny. You may think it sounds crazy. I'm just telling you it's true. There is no sin you're bound to today that you cannot be freed from by the blood of the Lamb called Jesus Christ. Not one. His blood hasn't yet met a sin that it cannot wash away. So let me just kind of wrap this up. I want you to hear this. True story. There was a man that served in the United States Navy. And many times he would be given the watch late uh, at night. And he'd have to go up on the station, and where he would stand was called the bridge. If you've been in the Navy, you know what the bridge of a ship is. He was on the bridge because that's where the ship is controlled, and that's where the ship is steered. Well, I didn't know this, but if you're up on the bridge and you're at night and you're on watch, no white lights are allowed on the bridge. Now, why don't they allow white lights on the bridge? Because if you've got white lights on the bridge, it will hinder you if you're on watch from being able to see other ships or other obstacles, and that would put the ships in harm's way. So all the lights and all the flashlights that they normally would use have a red filter over the lens so it would maximize their night vision. Well, this man said that he noticed from the very first night he would keep watch that, with, that whenever they would bring a document for him to read of, of orders that he had or whatever it might be, he said it, 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 he, it, he could read it as long as, as it was not written in red ink or a red felt tip pen. Because if it was written in red ink or a red tip felt tip pen, the red light would blend with the ink and the message would become completely invisible. Boy, I read that to myself and I thought, my soul, what a picture. Because see, from the moment you and I were born, we were born with sin over the doorpost of our heart, every one of us. We were born deserving of this death angel to come over us. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you trust Jesus Christ and you place your faith in him, 
and you allow him to put his blood over your heart, you know what happens? Watch this. This is so sweet, man. When you paint the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of your heart, all of your sins disappear. All of your sins become invisible. Even God, even God cannot see one sin through the blood of Jesus. And here's what I want to close with. When God looks at your heart, he will see one of two things. He will either see your sins or he will see the blood of Jesus. And one thing that we're taught in this wonderful story is this. The only way out of this life to eternal life is the blood of the Lamb of God. Let's pray together.